What is spatial D? Well, let me just say this. It's not, here, 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 Jubal, here's the time for the rim shot. It is not a rival serial to special K, okay? There we go. Okay, that, there we, that, that, that's, that's my attempt at it, okay? What is spatial D? Well, spatial D is also known as spatial disorientation. And it occurs in aviation when a pilot is flying uh, at night or in weather where visual orientation is impossible. It's, it usually occurs to, uh, not always, but it usually occurs to pilots who just fly under VFR rules, visual flight rules. And as you can see from that picture there, with the hey, there's no horizon, uh, it's hazy, uh, there's no ground, uh, there, there's, there's no markers, there's no visual markers. And every, uh, and, 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 uh, it, the thing, every year, uh, pilots, uh, usually pilots that are inexperienced, so that's not always the case, they usually die because of spatial disorientation. Uh, their instincts are telling them one thing. Uh, they feel like that they are, uh, uh, their, their head goes back and they feel like they're climbing and they're not actually climbing and they push down on the rudder and uh, there's been pilots that have just flown it right into the ground. They've flown it right into the ground. Uh, and, and there's just about every year, uh, somewhere on, 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 the, on this planet, uh, you have pilots who die because of that. And for this reason, every beginning student pilot uh, gets some time under the hood. Uh, when I was taking uh, flying lessons about 40 years ago, uh, I, as I was on my way to get my private license, I remember when, when the, the, the instructor put me under the hood. And uh, you can't see. I mean, to, to be able to see outside, you've got to kind of hold your head like that, and there's no way that you can do it. And my instructor would have me hold my head down, not even to see the instruments, and he would, he would configure the, the aircraft in a certain way. And then before I, could, before I could bring my head up to look at the instruments, he'd say, okay, I want you to go to this heading, uh, maintain this altitude, this airspeed, and okay, boom, you've got it now. And so, but you'd, take, you'd spend time under the hood. Uh, that, that, that every beginning student does that, as well as three hours of night training, uh, so that when you're flying at night, and if you don't have any lights there, if you're flying over a lot of country, ha there's no horizon, uh, especially if there's no moon out, and even if there's a moon out, it still can be difficult. And, and, and they go through that training so that these beginning pilots can learn the greatest command in the aviator's Bible handbook, which is trust your instruments. Trust your instruments. Regardless of how your body feels, regardless of what your body and instincts are telling you, if you, want, if you find yourself in a situation where you're socked in by weather, or there's no horizon, or it's dark and there's no visual markers, trust your instruments and not your instincts. Well, we all experience life moments when circumstances result in our disorientation. Our world gets turned upside down. We become uncertain. We become spiritually disoriented. We don't know what to believe. Our instincts scream for our attention, trying to inform us about the current reality. Our instincts are telling us, this is what's happening. This is what's taking place. This is what you're going through. And our instincts are screaming that out to us. And, and, and we become spiritually uh, in a spiritual upheaval because of, of, of what, what is taking place. And, and, and when that happens, uh, we, like aviators, we need to trust 
are instruments. And for the believer, our instrument is the Word of God. It's the Word of God. When we are socked in by the weather, uh, the circumstances, the bad weather of, of life's circumstances, when we are struggling through different issues and, and the uncertainties and, and, and we're not able to, to see where the horizon is at and, and, and whether or not we're going to make our destination, it's at those times when, when, when all that is taking place and, and everything within us uh, is crying out to, to doubt and to, and to fear and, and, and to give up and, to, and to, to give in. That's the moment. That's the time when we must trust our instruments. Our text tells the story of one who is experiencing spiritual, spatial disorientation. His world was upside down. He was in prison. He was imprisoned. In fact, it won't, it won't be long before his head will be separated from his shoulders. He's confused. And he's even questioning his whole life's work. It's John. But John was not the only one confused. The crowds are confused. The religious leaders are confused. And even the twelve are confused. What are they confused about? Well, they're confused about God's kingdom program. There's some things that they're not able to to put together. And, and, And Jesus clarifies their confusion by letting them know the identity of the king in verses 2 through 6, the opportunity of kingdom citizens in verses 7 through 11, and the authority of the king in verses 12 through 19. Jesus clarifies to them that, that even though the kingdom program isn't moving like they thought it was supposed to go, and, and, and they're disoriented, they're not sure what to believe, they're not sure what to expect. Is Jesus the one... Is He the coming one? Or do we need to look for another? Do we need to look for another? And Jesus clarifies to them and lets them know, and, and know with no ambiguity at all that He indeed is Messiah, that He indeed is King, and, and, that is, and, and, as, and as, as people who live during this time of the inauguration, not, not, not the culmination, but the inauguration of the kingdom through Jesus, as people who live in that time, we have opportunities of kingdom citizens. And also we live under the authority of the king. Now, as we talked a little bit about last time, as Matthew brings us to this point in his gospel, the incident here is pivotal. Pivotal. Pivotal, okay? It's pivotal. Uh, uh, you have in Matthew's Gospel, prior to chapter 11, again, this is a little bit of a review, uh, you have Matthew presenting the, the credentials of the king. And the credentials of the king have been carefully presented. Matthew's taken the time to let them know that Jesus has the pedigree. Jesus has the credentials to be qualified as Messiah. Also, Israel's heard the message regarding the nearness of the kingdom. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is, it, it has come. And, and, and they've heard that message. And not only that, but Jesus himself has performed great miracles, which has authenticated his message and his call to repentance. Jesus has performed these miracles so that they know that he is the one. He is the promised one. He is the coming one that the prophets speak about in the Hebrew scriptures. And now Israel must make a decision. 
They're called upon to make a decision. Will they willfully remain disoriented by placing their trust in their own understanding, in their own perception, in the, in the way that they want to create the kingdom of God? Or will they place their trust in what God has revealed to them, not only through the written word, the Hebrew scriptures, but what God has revealed to them through the living word, Jesus Christ himself? That's the choice they have to make. Will they remain? They do not realize they're spiritually disoriented. They're like those pilots who don't realize that while they think that they are ascending, that they're actually descending. Their instruments tell them that they're descending, but their instincts are telling them that they're not, and yet they, instead of going by what their instruments tell them, they fly that aircraft straight into the ground. And these Israelites... These Israelites think they know what the kingdom is supposed to look like. They think they know what God's kingdom program is. But God, and they understand it to some degree. But Jesus has come and Jesus has let them know that their thinking is faulty. And they want to, they want to shape the kingdom the way that fits them. They want to mold God and how God does things in accordance to their opinions and what they think rather than submitting to what God says. So Jesus talks, and, and this begins, the, the, not begins, but, but this kind of brings us to the, to the point of no return. The, uh, uh, again, crossing the Rubicon. Uh, this is the point of no return to where they're, gonna, they're not going to do anything but reject Jesus Christ. So in verses 2 through 6, we have the identity of the king. Uh, John the Baptist is still in prison, and his faith is wavering. He's in prison, and his faith is wavering. And we'll talk about why that's the case here in just a moment. And he sends a delegation of his apostles to inquire if Jesus is truly the Messiah. Look at verse 2. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, the deeds of, uh, 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 I'm sorry, the deeds of the Christ, and that's important, the deeds of the Christ. He, he, he's heard what Jesus has done. He's heard about the, the deeds, and those deeds are important. Because those deeds point that He is Messiah, but yet there's some things that are not happening that concerns John. And he says, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, the Christos, uh, the works of Christ, the Christos. Notice it's not the works of Jesus. This is the only time in Matthew's Gospel where Christ is used by itself to refer to Jesus. You might have the Lord Jesus, or you might have the Lord Christ, but this is the first time where or Jesus Christ, but this is the first time where just Christ by itself, the Christ, is in reference to, to, to Jesus. So we're talking about Messiah. Matthew is making it clear that, that what, what John is wondering is whether or not Jesus truly is the Messiah. Are you the Christ? And said to him, Are you the one? Who is to come? Or literally, are you the coming one? Are you the coming one? And, and, and the coming one is a messianic title. It's a messianic title. We're not going to take the time to read it, but in Hebrews 10, 37, uh, it, the, the, Jesus, the, uh, the Messiah is known as the coming one. He is the coming one. And so, and that's exactly how, how it's phrased in the Greek when it talks about the fact, uh, are, are you the coming one? And just for good English, the one who is to come. But, but it's a title. And, and, and it's a shame the title's not, not, it doesn't show you that way. Are you the, the coming one? Are you the coming one? 
He says, or are we to look for another? Another what? Another what? Well, the answer is another Messiah. John is asking, is Jesus, are you the Messiah, or are you just another man? Are you the Messiah, or are you just another man? Now, why is John asking that question? John is the one who said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's just been a couple years, if that long, since John made that statement. It was John who baptized Jesus. And, and, and when he came up out of the water, that the, that the heavens were torn open and the, and the Spirit of God descends upon Jesus like a dove and there's a voice from heaven that says, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. John's there. John experiences that. So why is John doubting? Well, he's human. Huh? I mean, that, that's, that's the obvious answer. Why is John down? Because he's like you and I. John finds himself in, 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 in a very, very difficult circumstance. He finds himself in a very difficult circumstance. And, and, and he, he, he asked Jesus about his deeds, but John also recognized the fact that Messiah not only came to do miraculous deeds, Messiah came to judge. Keep your place there in, in Matthew 12 and go back a few chapters to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. In Matthew chapter 3, look at verses 10 through 12. This is John speaking. He's preparing the way. He's the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And then it says in verse 10, Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, there's some debate about what that is. And there's, there, 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 there's several understandings of that. I think the idea of being baptized with the Holy that He baptizes with the Holy Spirit and fire, that the Holy Spirit deals with the identification part of Christ. That, that, the, that the Spirit of God... Uh, places us within the body of Christ, and, and there is that identification with Jesus Christ. But also, I think the idea of fire here, I think it speaks of judgment. That Jesus as Messiah, either you identify with Him, or He judges you. You either identify with Christ, or He judges you because of your lack of identification with Him. And, and so, John is expecting both. He's expecting Jesus not only to bring about the blessings of the Messianic kingdom, but he's also expecting Jesus, because the scriptures teach that, that as Messiah, he's going to bring the judgments as Messianic king. But there's no judgments right now. The religious leaders are still ruling. Rome is still in charge. John, who is the forerunner of the king, he's the forerunner of Messiah, finds himself in prison without any hope of release. And John's wondering, man, did I make the wrong choice? Have I identified the wrong person? Is this really the Messiah? Because my circumstances 
are not telling me that he is. You've been there? I have. My circumstances are not telling me that Jesus is in charge. John says, are you the one? Are you the one? Where is the assertion of Jesus' authority and judgment? Why is the herald, the forerunner of the Messiah imprisoned? And Jesus answers the question, not by acknowledging the title, but rather by pointing to the nature of His works and the kingdom as prophesied by Isaiah. Keep your place there in, in Matthew 11 and go to Isaiah 35 because he's going to, not, he, he's not going to directly quote it, but it's going to be, his, you, you, you're going to have no doubt that this is where his answer came from. Look at Isaiah 35 and look at verses 5 5 and 6. Isaiah 35, look at verses 5 and 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. A little earlier in verse, in verse 2, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Now, go stay in Isaiah and go to Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61. Look at verse 1. Isaiah 61 and verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prisoners of the prison to those who are bound. Now, look at back Matthew 11, look at verse 4, and look how Jesus answers John's delegation. And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. The poor have good news preached to them. All those things deal with physical realities except the last one, which is a spiritual reality. John t Jesus tells John, look at what I'm doing. Look at what you're hearing. And go back to Isaiah. I'm doing what Isaiah said is going to happen. While John is not witnessing the judgment aspect of the kingdom, and that hasn't come yet, we look around in our world today, and anybody with any common sense would say God's not in control. Any worldly common sense would say God's not in control. But we know different. Why? Because of what we see? Sometimes. But why? 
because of what we know is true from the Word of God. God's in control. He's in control. I have to take that by faith. Because I look around in my world, and I don't see it as often as I'd like to see it. Not near as often as I'd like to see it. While John is not witnessing the judgment aspect of the kingdom, the physical and spiritual works of the kingdom has arrived. Jesus says, you're not seeing all of it, John, but you're seeing enough of it to know that I am Messiah. You're seeing enough of it to know that I am the coming one, the promised one. The messianic character of Jesus is proven by His works and by His words and by the fact that He has fulfilled the prophecies. And John is to remain faithful even though the judgment aspect of the kingdom is not perceptible. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. I know what's going on in some of your worlds. I don't know what's going on in all of your worlds. But in our reality sometimes, it appears that everything is, that, that there, there's no center of gravity holding anything together. Everything is just flying off. Everything's spinning, and the, and the centrifugal force is just slinging it out there. Kaboom. on the throne. And Jesus is letting John know at this very difficult time of his life when he's imprisoned, a very difficult time in his life when he's even questioning what's going on in his life. Are you the one or do we need to look for another? When he's confused. And Jesus says, you look at my words, you look at you, you listen to my words, you look at my works, and you go to the Scriptures and see that I have fulfilled the prophecies. I am the King. I am the King. But then Jesus takes this moment to unpack and bring clarity uh, uh, to, 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 to this particular moment in time and its relationship to the kingdom by addressing the opportunity of kingdom citizens. Look at verses 7 through 11 again. He says, As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. So he's going to talk to them. And he takes this opportunity to talk to them about John because the identification of John is pivotal. The identification of John is important as it relates to particularly those Jews at this point in history and as it relates to you and I. He, he, first of all, he talks about the greatness of John. He talks about the greatness of John. And he talks about his character and message as a prophet. That what drew the people out to John was not what he wore. Because John, I mean, John wore, you know, uh, camel's hair. And if, if John invited you over to lunch, you better like locusts and honey, okay? And them grasshoppers are not going to be dipped in chocolate, probably. So, you know, I hope you like the, the crunchiness of the grasshopper and the sweetness of the honey. You do not want to go to John's house to eat, okay? In fact, John doesn't even have a house. John lives in the wilderness. So, you know, unless you like, unless you like living in the great outdoors, John is not ex John's a little bit eccentric. 
We look at John and we go, hmm, he's a little different than the rest of us, isn't he? A little different. Look what Jesus says. What you got into the wilderness to see? Why'd you go there? What drew you out to the, wil- the desert, really? The desert. When, when, you, when I think of wilderness, I think of a place with a bunch of trees. The, I, it's, it's, it's a desert. What'd you go out into the desert to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Whichever way, you know, let, let me see what I believe today. Oh, the wind's blowing this way. Okay. This is what, this, let's say it the Lord. Let me say, uh, oh, this way. Thus saith the Lord. Uh-uh. John's message doesn't change. John didn't care who he preached to. John said it to the, to the hoi polloi. John said it to the Pharisees. John said it to King Herod, which is why he's in prison right now. You're not, it's unlawful to you to have your, your, your brother's wife. I don't like that message. Doesn't matter. Into prison, John went. Into prison, John went. Jesus goes on. He says, what then did you got to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Was it, was it John's charisma? Was it John's Armani suits? Would John, did John have a Gulf Stream that he could fly from different places so he could minister all throughout the promised land? What was it? He says, Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? And the people recognized John as a prophet. But Jesus lets them know that John was more than a prophet. He says, Yes, that's right. He's a prophet. But I tell you, he's more than a prophet. Why is he more than a prophet? Because this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. And Jesus changes the pronoun from before me to before you. Jesus lets them know, I'm the one. I'm the one. See, and Jesus is quoting from from Malachi 3, 1 and 10 there, when he, he makes the quote there. But basically... What makes John more than a prophet is that he is the prophesied forerunner of the Messiah. His position and his ministry made him the greatest human being. Look at verse 11. He goes on. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist. Why has there been no one raised greater risen than John the Baptist among those that were born of women at that time? It's be, not because uh, of, uh, of John's uh, uh, charisma, not because of how John ministered. It's because of John's opportunity. John had the opportunity of being the forerunner of the Messiah. He was given that great privilege, that great opportunity. And there was none greater than the one who came and said, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make your path straight. The one coming after me, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. But he's Messiah. He's Messiah. And so Jesus says, this, the, the greatest, the greatness of John. And then again, as we said, Jesus again affirms his Messiah, Messiahship when he says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. 
But then look at what he says in the latter part of verse 11. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So on one hand, he talks about the greatness of John. And then on the other hand, he talks about the lowly position of John. What's going on here? Jesus is letting this group know that everything in the new era will be greater than John because of the opportunity. The least one in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. What made John great? It was the opportunity that he had. The opportunity to be the herald of of Messiah. To be the one who says, the one who's coming after me. What makes those who are the least in the kingdom of heaven greater than John the Baptist? It's the opportunities that we have. It's the opportunities to say, He's come. He's here. He, he, he died. He rose again. Salvation has been purchased. Sal- I mean, I, I, the, 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 what was the second song we sang, Jubal? The, yeah, I mean, the great theological terms in there. Propitiation. Uh, 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 vicarious. Those great t- biblical truths that, that believers, all believers used to know. But the church has got so theologically weak need that, that nobody knows. But the idea of the fact that, that, that Christ took our place, that Christ paid the penalty, He satisfied the wrath of God. He is the covering. His, His blood covers our sins. The opportunity that we have as kingdom citizens to be able to talk about the one who has come and that salvation has been accomplished. And not just that, that because we are kingdom citizens, after the inauguration of the kingdom, when Jesus sat upon the throne, when he sits and when he was, was exalted by the Father, and his first act as sitting upon the throne was by sending the Holy Spirit and initiating, not, not, not completely fulfilling, but initiating the, the new covenant so that, the, so that the, 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 the law of God is now written in our hearts. The Spirit of God now indwells us. The Spirit Spirit of God now sees us. We ha- seals us. We have direct, direct, direct access to the Father. Do you realize that? Do you realize how fortunate we are in our day and time to have direct access to the Father? We go through nobody. I go through nobody except Jesus Christ to get to the Father. He's the one. In Christ, I have access to Him. In Christ, not only do I have access, but the Father bids me to come. The Father wants me to come. And when I do come, I I come not in my own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ. Do you realize the opportunities that we have to have the kind of relationship with the Father that our brothers and sisters prior to the cross could only dream about? The privileges that we have. He says, the least in the kingdom of heaven. The opportunity of kingdom citizens is beyond our comprehension because of Christ. But these opportunities are ours, not because of our own work. These opportunities are are ours, not because of of the technological advancements that we've made or the advancements in knowledge that we've made. These opportunities are ours due to the authority of the king. The authority of the king. 
verses 12 through 14 is a very difficult passage to nail down the precise meaning. I could, I could, I could be, well, there, there's people who tell me I'm wrong on this. And there's people who would say, you're right on this. It, it's hard. It's a very difficult passage to nail down. Let's look at verse 12. It says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. My understanding, and the key is the word tie. my understanding is from the days of John to that moment in time that Jesus is referring to, that all are insistent, insistently urged into the kingdom of heaven. So that first phrase, from the days of John until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. And again, that's, that's taking it a very, it's a passive and taking it very strongly. I, I don't take it quite that, the, the force of it that strong. That the idea is, is the sense of that all are being urged. There's an assistance. We, we, we want people to come to become kingdom citizens because we know that that is that is already been mentioned today that that in Christ, the, our only hope is in Christ, and so we 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 urge them we insistently urge them into the kingdom of heaven, and, and that's a possible meaning of this passive verb, but then he goes on and he says he says for uh, he says until now the kingdom of heaven suffered violence and the violent take it by force. The violent take it by force. Again, it's hard to nail down. But I think here the religious leaders, basically Jesus is saying that the religious leaders have fought against the, fought against the kingdom since John's announcement of its nearness. They're trying to snatch it away. That's, that's another way to look at it. And the violent take it by force. They're trying to snatch away the kingdom. They're trying to snatch away the kingdom. And, and I think... And, and again, for part of how I would uh, argue that that's the case here is when you go to Matthew chapter 23, Matthew chapter 23, and you look at verse 13 and verse 15. In Matthew 23, verse 13 and verse 15, Jesus says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Verse 15, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. What I think is going on here is the fact that, that these religious leaders are wanting the kingdom, and I, and I think the illustration that Jesus uses later on in our, in our verse today, that, that they, they are wanting to fashion and shape the kingdom and according to their thinking and their understanding. They don't want the kingdom that Jesus is offering. They don't want the kind of Messiah that Jesus is offering them to be. They want to be able... It's the same thing, and before we get too hard on them, I think about my own life and how many times I want to fashion God in my own image. How I, want, how I want God to say, you know, Greg, okay, hey, I understand. I understand. And that's exactly what's going on here. And so they're snatching it away. They're snatching it away. And, I, and again, I think the illustration that Jesus uses later on, I think, helps to support that. And he, and he lets us know that John is a, transla- a transitional link from, from the past uh, and from the promise of the past to the present in verse 13. He says, For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. John kind of stands straddling the fence. 
Part of him is in the Old Testament era. Uh, He's he's the last of the prophets to to, to point to Jesus. Uh, But part of him, he's the prophet that that is living and and, and is alive and points out who Jesus is. So he's kind of this transitional figure. It's kind of like the book of Acts to the church. The book of Acts is a transitional book as it relates to how the church operates. And John kind of serves as a, as a doorway, a doorway to the past, uh, 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 the, the, promises of the, the promise of the past and, and, and the present reality. And so John is serving as this, this transitional link, and he lets them know that John is the prophet like Elijah who announces the coming of Messiah, and that Messiah is Jesus. Again, look at verse, 14, or verse uh, 13. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, now, some people think that it is a reference to the kingdom. Others think that it is a reference to John. I think it's a reference to John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. Jesus is letting them know, I am the king and I have authority. I have authority. He says, John is the greatest among, born among women because of the opportunities that he had. He's the one who is the herald. He is the Elijah. He's the promised Elijah who's going to foretell the coming of Messiah, to point people to Messiah. And I'm that Messiah. But you, you are trying to take and, 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 and reshape the kingdom. And so we are insisting on people to come into the kingdom, to become citizens of the kingdom. But you, you scribes, you Pharisees, you hypocrites... You're trying to snatch the kingdom away from the people. You're trying to make sure that they don't enter the kingdom because it doesn't fit the way you think the kingdom should be. You're too busy trying to be God rather than submit to God. And yet you think you are submitting to God. Jesus lays it out for him, And in verse 15 he says, He who has ears to hear. And let me translate those last three words with the import that Jesus is saying. He who has ears to hear, you better listen. You better listen. This isn't Jesus saying, and he who has ears to hear, man, it'd be a good thing if you, you know, it's a good thing if you listen. You might get tested on this one day. Jesus isn't saying that. He's saying, again, this is a pivotal moment. Jesus, it's about the authority of Jesus. And Jesus is not backing down. He who has ears to hear, you better listen. You better listen. Jesus is the king. He is the authoritative one. They better listen. But what are they going to do? Jesus knows what they're going to do. Why? Because he sees it. Rather than receiving him as king, their choice is rejection of both the king and the herald of the king. And that's how he closes this out. Now, imagine yourself sitting there. But what shall I compare this generation to? It's like children sitting in the market. You're a bunch of you're a bunch of kids. You're acting like children. Sitting in the marketplaces and calling to the playmates. We played the flute. But how come you didn't dance? We played do, do, do. Uh, I don't know what kind of, you know. Some kind some kind of fluty music, okay? So 
so they can go, whoop, 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 you know, I'm, I'm such a great dancer, you know, and, and, and doing that. Okay, so you don't want to dance. So we sang you a dirge. Minor keys. And you bunch of goofballs didn't mourn. He says, that's what you're acting like. We did this and we expect this kind of response, but you didn't give it. We played a certain tune and you didn't march to it. You didn't march to it. We wanted to play a certain game and you refused to play. Look what he says, for John came neither eating nor drinking. John led a very ascetic life, life aesthetic life. Like I said, his, he did not get his clothing at, at Neiman Marcus. Okay? He didn't even get them at J.C. Penney, Okay, John just found him some kind of camel skinder and put them on. His diet, he didn't go to the finest restaurants. He'd go out, pick up some place, Grasshoppers, whoop, you know, get the net at. There's supper. <laughs> There's supper. John led a very aesthetic life. And they say he's got a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say, you pig, you drunk. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. John and Jesus didn't follow their tune. They didn't play the game according to their rules. These religious leaders chose to sit in judgment of Jesus rather than bowing in submission to Him as their king. John was too much of a separatist. John's way... man. John's way over here. Don't cuss, smoke, or chew, or go with girls that do. Got the ruler to measure the length of your skirt. Wear pants on. Not, not in John's world. Get them, get them britches off them women, you know. Way over here. Jesus was too inclusive. Now let's have a good meal. Let's sit down and enjoy some fellowship. And you know what? Let, let's invite everybody. Let me, let me be hospitable to to the publicans and the tax collectors and the, and the rejected of this world. Let me reach out to them and minister to them and let them know about God's love. John was too much of a separatist for him. Jesus was too much of an... He, he included everybody. John was, uh, Jesus was too inclusive. And yet both of them lived wisely in submission to God. And while their lifestyles were different, they were both doing the will of God. And Jesus is letting these religious, knows, these religious leaders know that their childish criticisms, while they may make their childish criticisms, the words and works of both John and Jesus argue for their credibility. He says, but wisdom is justified by her deeds. You're going to find out that you're wrong. You're wrong. Jesus makes clear in this moment that the instrument of God's Word rightly orients us to the facts that Jesus is Messiah. He's the King. As kingdom citizens, we've been blessed with unique 
opportunities. And since Jesus is the king, we are to submit to him as the one who is authoritative in our lives. In our lives. So the question this morning is a very simple one. Will you, will I, will we submit and either enter into the kingdom, putting our faith and trust in Jesus as Messiah, as King, as the coming one, as the promised one, as the one who alone can take away the sins of the world, as the one who took our place, as the one who not only he not only died for us vicariously, he lived for us vicariously. He lived the life you and I could never live. He offered up that perfect life as a sacrifice for my sin and your sin. And God the Father accepted it. Or, if you know Christ, will we prioritize our lives by living out kingdom principles? And the other choice is to reject Jesus because he'll not play by our rules or follow our tune. Jesus doesn't play by my rules. He doesn't. He doesn't follow my tune. I don't play and Jesus comes, comes happily behind, marching along. He doesn't follow my tune. He doesn't play my games. He wants us to submit. And when we do, we experience the joy of knowing someone like no other. The joy of His presence, the joy of His grace, the joy of His beauty, the joy of His comfort, the joy of His hope, the joy of His assurance. Pilots, even experienced pilots, have died simply because they forgot the cardinal rule of flying. That's a picture from happened in Atlanta a couple years ago, and here just a few months ago they came out as the cause of that crash. A spatial disorientation for a guy that had hundreds of hours. That was a jet, by the way. He was flying a private jet. Even experienced pilots have died simply because they forgot the cardinal rule of flying. Trust your instruments. Trust your instruments. And child of God, we live in a state of disorientation. We live in a time when things disoriented, bewildered, confused, lost, perplexed, we live in that kind of time right now. But please don't forget the cardinal rule of faithful living. Trust your instrument. Trust the Word of God. Trust it. The inerrant, infallible, inspired, God-breathed Word. We don't worship the Bible but we do trust what it says because they're God's words. 
God's words. And what they reveal to us about God is true. What they reveal to us about us is true. What it reveals to us about life is true. But our instincts at times are telling us that things are oriented in a different way. And we get disoriented. We don't know if we're up, if we're down, if we're banking left, if we're banking right, if we're ascending or descending. We've got no idea. We, we, we think we know. We think that we can bring it safely, our lives to a safe landing. we do so based upon our own instincts we're going to end up flying it right into the ground trust God's word trust God and his word trust God and his word regardless instincts are telling you. Trust God and His Word. And if you do, you will land a life that lands in a life that counts, in a life that's successful, in a life that's not wasted. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Thank you that we can hide your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. Thank you that in it we find the wisdom of God We find all that we need for life and godliness that is sufficient for whatever obstacle, whatever difficulty, whatever situation we face. Because it tells us of one whose loving heart can feel our deepest woe and in each sorrow bears a part that none can bear below. Father, I pray that you would help us to run to your word today. To not allow all the confusion and the noise and the distractions to get us turned upside down. Lord, help us to get back to the book. To put the hood on. And to look at your word. And to find what we need. To fly safely to the destination you want to take us. Thank you for your work of grace in our lives. Thank you that we can not only see the truths from your word, but we can see them illustrated in life. 
We ask now, Father, that you would help us to respond well to your word today. Thank you for all that's ours in Christ, for we pray these things in Christ. Thank you, Holy Spirit. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, we don't have an altar call, but we do want to invite you today. We want to encourage you, if you're not a citizen of the kingdom, to put your faith and trust in Christ today. And if you're not sure, we have folks who can talk with you afterwards. We'd love to talk with you afterwards. For those of you who are believers, I know some of you are going through some really hard times right now. Some really difficult times right now. And it is easy. It is so easy to get disoriented. To start spinning. Worst thing you can do in an aircraft is be in a flat spin. And you're spinning. on the hood bow your head get into the word and trust the God who loves you more than you can even imagine ignore your instincts your circumstances are real what you're going through is real but if you'll trust God Rest in the power of the Spirit and the direction of His Word. You will get to where He wants to take you. You'll get there. There may be some bruises, there may be some bumps, there's going to be tears, there's going to be difficulties. But that landing gear will hit that runway. It will. give you a time just to talk to your father just to pour your heart out to him and then we'll close out our services today Father, we're thankful that your word tells us that our Lord and your Son will not quench a smoking flax or crush a bruised reed. That you remember our friend that it's but dust. That you understand of your son our feebleness our weakness the limitations of being human the struggles of being physical people in a physical world the bombardment that comes upon our senses. The story that it tries to tell us, sometimes accurately, sometimes inaccurately. 
Father, help us to find our comfort and strength and encouragement in you today. Help us not to hole up or to barricade or to hunker down. But help us with the confidence and the hope and the power of the resurrected Christ in a world that doesn't know what's happening to compassionately and boldly speak of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our hope is in you. Our comfort is in you. Our strength is in you. Our power is in you. There is none like you, nor will there ever be anyone like you. You are God and there is no other. So, Father, we pray today that we might not go to, to the one extreme and deny the reality nor go to the other extreme and believe that our circumstances is the totality of our reality. Father, I pray that you would help us to be honest about our trials and be confident about the purpose you have will accomplish them through them for our good and your glory. Help us to encourage one another. Help us to listen well. Help us to weep with those who weep, to mourn with those who mourn, to rejoice with those who rejoice. And Father, may we leave here today encouraged in you encouraged by one another as we trust in the hope of our salvation. We thank you for our great triune God, our Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We don't understand the great three in one, the great one in three. But we bow and give you the worship that is due because there is truly nothing and no one that comes close. Encourage us this week. Help us to find our strength in you. Draw us close to your side. Help us to be receptive to the word this week. And we will praise you and give you all the glory. For we pray these things in Christ's name through his spirit. Amen. It has been a joy to worship with you today. And uh, if you're wanting to continue your worship through the gift, through giving, there's plates back here at the back that you can put your gift there. And we're grateful for your faithfulness during this time and for God has, how God has continued to provide for our needs.